0: Filmmakers and genres that consensus has deemed important, and thus I have created this podcast to document my journey into cinematic edification... This month, I'm exploring the films of George Romero, as recommended by Ali Kroper of BitLip, a teen movie podcast. And in this week's episode, I'll be talking about Romero's 1988 film, Monkey Shines, based on a novel. That's right, a film about a quadriplegic who has a monkey assistant who eventually goes insane and tries to kill everyone around him is based on an idea that someone had before this movie existed. So, let's... um. Let's start with the good. I, w- I want to start with the good of Monkey Shines because there's a lot that's not great. I'm not going to go so far as to say that Monkey Shines is a bad film. Um, it definitely has the 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 signs of a of a of a of a, an artist, a writer director who has a clear vision and a, and themes and wants to say something and wants to use this film to kind of comment on something that he sees as worth commenting on. Um, but it's quite silly, um, bonkers, and not really a film that I enjoyed very much. But let's start with the good things, because I'm going to be spending a lot more time talking about the things that I didn't work for me. So Monkey Shines, uh, similar to Season of the Witch, still speaks to the themes that Romero brought up in regards to questioning humanity or what it is to be human and what factors lead to dehumanizing and of course introducing the animal element kind of um you know not so subtly poses that question of you know more human than human basically and how a, a, a human can sort of dehumanize his or herself and how an animal can kind of appear to be more human and and I mean when you think of the look at the main characters and all of them kind of have these Traits which are sort of deemed not civil or not mature or sort of not them at at, at the... Uh, peak of being human so I mean even starting with uh, our, our main character Alan he's after his accident he's always bitter and full of rage um, his friend Jeffrey is a drug addict Alan's mom is overprotective and overbearing uh, nurse Hodge is a tyrant um, you know Doc, uh, Dean Burbage is also a, a monster um, and so you have all these elements in which sort of all semblances of, of civility and humanity are are, are are not absent but the the kind of the more unsavory and sometimes primal elements are sort of more uh highlighted in these characters um and when we are first introduced to ella and when ella first first starts taking care of alan we see that she's seemingly as sentient and caring as any person and certainly um as the film kind of goes along she is more of a caring figure than um the nurse hodges to much to the chagrin of of the the tirelessly working professional nurse hodge um, and even the way at the very end that Alan kills Ella uh, because he is a quadriplegic how he bites her on the neck and kind of flings her back and forth you know is very reminiscent of how um, an, an animal you know a dog would sort of or a wolf or, or some type of cat like creature would sort of kill its prey by kind of biting on its neck and like breaking or, or biting on its neck and sort of breaking its neck flying it back and forth that way that's very animalistic and also comes at you know the the peak of all this Build up, uh, you know, the, in this explosive tension, um, as much tension as you can have, in which two men are squaring off against a monkey, I suppose. Um, and then, you know, the 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 POV element that Romero brings in, in which um, Ella and Alan are sort of psychically linked, starts kind of blurring the the, the psychological distinction between Alan and Ella. Which part of um, which part of his feelings, and he questions it too, and he brings it up to to the people who are around him. You know, was this was this me making a decision or was this Ella uh, or, or was this Ella making a decision for me or was I telling her to do this? Was I, you know, somehow transmitting this sensation, this emotion that I wanted these people to die, that I wanted my ex to die, that I wanted, uh, you know, the, these people to, to be hurt and to suffer? And it kind of blurs that, that distinction a, a little bit. Um, but that's sort of where I have to sort of then transition into what I, I thought was sort of ridiculous and, and absurd about this movie. And, and it sort of does start, or, or at least uh, the, the POV thing that I just talked about is, is one of the elements. But um, w- one of the biggest problems with it is that Monkey Shines doesn't seem to know what film it wants to be in the sense of... Um, how there's sort of a jarring transition partway through the film that, that you know, it, it starts out as one way and it becomes kind of something else. And it doesn't commit to one or the other. And because of that, there's it, it's sort of a very muddled film. And, and, and what could be done with the themes is kind of lost. Um, and because what this movie starts out at is actually sort of kind of treacly, um, sort of almost like it, you get the sensation or the feeling. It's going to be sort of almost like a made-for-TV inspirational film um of someone who is um um injured and they become you know quadriplegic and they have to kind of adapt to this new world and this new technology and sort of it starts out as sort of this um you know um one man against like the world kind of thing i mean even think of like uh, you know rise and walk the dennis bird story it kind of almost seems like we're going to have a fictional rendition of that um and even when ella is introduced the soundtrack is sort of this weird kind of dingy piano that's kind of like lighthearted and almost kind of jokey and comical um and then the horror elements of it or the the negative elements or when like shit starts hitting the fan doesn't even really come in until it feels like about 40 minutes into the movie um and in, in which i believe it's it's the uh the university um doctor who's played by stanley tucci and um alan's um ex uh ex-girlfriend in which they are killed because ella sets the cabin that they are uh sleeping around in on fire. Um, and, and then that's where the, the film sort of shifts and transitions, which in itself is fine, except it comes in so late and just kind of represents this jarring transition into something else that I almost kind of wish um, it would have <laughs> started or, or that it would have at least stayed a sort of inspirational sort of uplifting tale i mean you can still kind of tell that that story and have those themes of like what you know what really does separate humans from animals but make it an inspirational kind of uplifting thing in the sense of hey these these ideas of of caretaking and compassion like this is not exclusive to humanity you can tell that story or you can tell a story of um you know science gone bad or or you know man trying to play god you can do that as well and kind of make it this cheap sort of campy b-horror movie but you can't do both and this one monkey shines really seems like it is trying to be both at the same time um and and at the core of of this film what the problem is is that connection between alan and Ellen, not just thematically but also Superficially, or I guess I should say supernaturally, because one thing that we are led to believe is that there is some type of psychic link between Alan and Ella, that he can um, see what she is doing through her eyes when she goes on her nighttime killing sprees. And, you know, this is supposed to lead to questions as to is it his anger, is it his animalistic impulses which are driving her, is she just acting because she is trying to be protective of him, is this some type of instinctual thing Um, But the problem is they define it as a psychic connection explicitly, or at least they speculate that it's a psychic connection, without any explanation as to where that psychic connection came from. This is a supernatural element um, that... I mean, where where is that coming from? Because we're supposed to believe that Ella is a monkey who is given supreme intelligence because of injections of human brain sampling or human brain DNA basically injected into her. Okay, fine. I'm going to buy into that and I'm going to believe that. But what about that makes it a psychic connection with alan i mean it's not his brain which is being injected into her so where does that connection come from and by introducing this supernatural element it also introduces two problems into the movie um number one it sort of undercuts the theme of humanity if you're going to introduce this supernatural thing it sort of is like a an outside force which is sort of i don't know it seems like it's pulling the rug out of this idea of like well what connects us and and you know and animals and that question of what makes us human and what makes us animal is sort of almost not even negated, but it's kind of pushed aside by a supernatural element, which is neither human nor animal without any explanation of where it came from or why it's kind of having resonance in this relationship. And also it doesn't commit to that. Um, Maybe if you had, you know, set up in the first 15, 20 minutes of the film, you know, some, some, even just some throwaway line that Jeffrey has talking to Dean Burbage or something about how, um, You know we're we're finding these strange results with like these uh, that Ella has these strange results that these other monkeys don't have in the sense of almost kind of a a precognizance or like a spider sense or that sort of thing. Just even one kind of throwaway line that would lead us to believe or would plant the seed early of there's a weird side effect to this experiment that we're not really sure of yet, and I'm not really sure how it would manifest itself in the real world. So I'm not ready to start experimenting in the real world with it yet. Fine. Then we have some type of blank that we can fill in that would lead us to believe, okay, sure, there's a psychic connection between this man and his monkey. Um, But it seems like it's just sort of in there just to sort of add this supernatural horror element, which doesn't really fit. And I'm reminded of um, Dara Argento's Phenomena, which was, you know, Argento and Romero were contemporaries and um, they worked together, and actually they were going to work together in the, the next film I'll be talking about, Two Evil Eyes, Phenomenon was a fucking bonkers movie. From beginning to end, it was absolutely bonkers, and if you remember that episode, I did not care for it. Um, Also a movie in which a monkey at the end saves a day. Fine. Didn't care for it, but once again, it started out as bonkers and committed to it the entire way. It set up its rules in its universe, and it was consistent with those. So, sure, it's weird that at the end of the day, the monkey is the hero of Phenomenon, but within that universe it sort of makes some weird sense because Jennifer Connelly's character has a psychic connection with animals and insects and all sorts of things, so fine, I will accept that. I don't really accept it here because it does, like I said, it comes out of nowhere, it's not really explained, and it sort of changes the tone of the film in a way which, you know, what are you doing with it, why? And there's a happy ending, which is also sort of, there's a bit of a dissonance there. That was a result of studio interference, but, um, that's really kind of like a drop in the bucket when it comes to that. Like, you know, who's going to believe that this has a happy ending? Like, it was not what Romero intended. But also, if what Romero intended is what we've seen, then listen, the happy ending is the least of my concerns, quite frankly. Um, and not helping this film is also um just a general sort of lack of tension. There is a real ambiguity in Season of the Witch um, as to. You know, is what she's doing actually working, or is it just kind of a, you know, a a manifestation of a placebo effect, basically? Monkey Shines is still a genre film which is trying to scare you and kind of keep you tense and kind of keep you guessing, but there's only so many scenes of, is the monkey in this room? Until I'm eventually bored and don't care if the monkey is in the room or not, and I'm just kind of wanting the film to speed up and like, okay, let's either kill the monkey or let's have the monkey kill everybody and get this wrapped up, please. But instead, you have the entire third act where Jeffrey's in there and he's like, you know, peeking his head around the door and looking in every room like, is Ellen here? No. And then kind of slowly closing the door and Alan, you know, wheeling himself around his house and like, Jeffrey, Jeffrey, she's down here. And Jeffrey not listening. Um, you can only do that so many times before I just don't care. Um, before there is no tension um, left anymore to be had because we're just seeing kind of the same basic um a happens, B happens, and C happens, rinse-repeat kind of a thing. Um, and also, looking at this film, I have to say, in 1988, the wheelchair that Alan's uh, character was using was the peak of technology. Um, and so this had to be something which was um, revolutionary, which was going to help him adapt to the world um, around him. And watching this film through the lens of 2009, in which technology has come a much longer way, um, there, there has to be something that I, that I, that I think has to be said about just the, the kind of actual pace in which the, in which the Allen character moves when he's kind of going through the house. There's a scene later on, in, uh, near the end, when the door is wide open. Alan's trying to get to it, but his his chair is very slow moving, so he's not getting there in time before Ella can kind of slam the front door. Now. Romero could have been shooting the scene to kind of say, like, look at how difficult it is for him to navigate. Look at just the, the, you know, despite the fact that it's a a man versus this tiny animal, look at how actually the, you know, the the scales have been tipped and the the odds are actually in the monkey's favor. He could have been kind of using this slow pace and the kind of um, subtly, not even subtly, because there is nothing subtle about this film... But he could have been using those that slowness to kind of accentuate, that's the word I'm looking for, accentuate how difficult of a struggle this is for Alan. The problem is, though, it's, once again, it's kind of the same thing with like the, you know, there's only so many ways that I can, or there's only so many times you can say, is the monkey in this room before there's a lack of tension. There's only so many times that you can show that sort of slow, deliberate pacing, before we kind of get to the point of, like, yeah, we, we understand this is very difficult for him. You don't have to keep on hitting on that. Um, and it actually does kind of slow the film down. A slow a film which is almost two hours long and feels like it's almost two hours long. Um, and, you know, once again, watching this film through the lens of 2019, it's only fair that I also have to bring up this idea of representation. Um if our main character is a quadriplegic, why not actually cast someone who is otherwise abled? Um, or, you know, doesn't have to be a quadriplegic actor, but just at least someone that is that can lend some type of more of a credibility to that role, more of a, a pain to that role, or more of a struggle to that role of, of this this character who is finding out what it is to live in this world. Um, in it's it's really kind of upsetting to talk about representation in this movie because Romero did such a good job in *Season of the Witch*, kind of getting inside the mindset of um, a a woman who is repressed in her you know in her home space, and then in this one you have three kind of main women characters, two of whom are <laughs> we're we're not supposed to like them. We are very clearly not supposed to like them. In Alan's mom um and in the nurse who is taking care of him these are just harpies and they're horrible people and they don't listen to reason and they have their own agenda and they refuse to consider anything else which is going on around them um you do have the uh i have to look up her name unfortunately that i have forgotten you do have the melanie parker character who is yes she is uh very friendly and she's attractive and she falls in love with alan but also her role kind of only exists to give Alan more agency and to kind of help him along on his journey and he doesn't really have one so it's also kind of upsetting that uh you have season of the witch which was 1973 and so 15 years later you have a film which does kind of a a much worse job when it comes to representation. um, It's really quite upsetting, especially because Season of the Witch showed such promise. Night of Living Dead in 1968 showed such promise. You have this guy who clearly has an eye towards um, social change, to progressive elements, and yet you have this movie which is um, not subtle, which is very on-the-nose, which isn't great for representation, just kind of seems like uh, one or two steps backwards, including in the technical prowess, which is weird because it was a seven million dollar film. It was the last time Romero worked for a studio um, until, well, until Land of the Dead in two thousand five. Um, so he had, you know, more, <laughs> more elements and 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 more, more money behind uh, this film, and yet it still is kind of, um, you know, well, it 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 it's a studio film basically at the end of the day. So, um, as I said to kind of wrap up, it's in the end, it's it's very on the nose. It's very silly. Mm-hmm. And it's long, which I think is the, the length of it is kind of the, the more, it is, is also kind of unforgivable. Um, as I've done multiple times in the past, I will quote the, uh, the late, great Roger Ebert, who is, who is always better at saying the things that I'm trying to say in a much more effective way. Uh, I quote from his review, um, and I will be sure to post this review on the Facebook page as well. He says, Just a shade of understatement would have gone a long way. He could have benefited from losing a few subplots, especially the protective mother and the jealous university dean. That would have allowed the story to proceed more directly to its inevitable conclusion. Instead, Romero loses momentum in the closing passages because he has far too many loose ends to keep track of. Somewhere within this movie's two hours or so is hidden an absolutely spellbinding 90-minute thriller, um, which I absolutely agree with because Roger Ebert was much better at his job uh, than I am. But... Um, if you are uh, curious to watch and or re-watch Monkey Shines, um, if you have a, a star subscription, it's actually for free to stream on Stars and uh, through the, the Stars Amazon app thing. If you don't have that, then it is available for either rental or purchase on Vudu, iTunes, and Amazon. Um, so that does it for Monkey Shines, a very strange, surreal film. Um, if you disagree with me on Monkey Shines, which I'm sure there are plenty of you out there that do, because I've seen this screen many times in Romero retrospectives um, on different sort of like um, horror exclusive kind of TV channels and stuff. This seems to have sort of a cult status and I would really like to know why. And if you believe you know why, then please do uh, reach out to me. It's very easy. You can email me at badly at gmail.com. You can tweet at me at teeth. And if you want to catch up on the back episodes or just continue following along with what I'm doing with George Romero, um, you can go to idomoviesbadly.podbean.com. Go to BattleshipRetention.com. find I Do Movies Badly in the podcast drop-down menu, or find me on iTunes as always. So, um, yeah, that's about it. That's all I really have to say about Monkey Shines. Um, but be sure to tune in next week where I will be finishing up, uh, the month of May and Romero with Two Evil Eyes. Once again, it is a two-part film. We have Romero's half and we have Dara Argento's half. I will only be talking about Romero's half, uh, based on the Edgar Allan Poe short story. Well, they're both based on Edgar Allan Poe short stories, but I'll only be talking about the Romero half, so be sure to tune in next week where I'll be talking about Two Evil Eyes, and hopefully I will be just a little bit less ignorant.